You are listening to Hope of the Nation podcast. Thank you for tuning in and we hope this message will encourage, build and strengthen your walk in the Lord. So welcome once again and we are just about to start this evening's webinar and our and our topic for this evening is the primacy of the word. And uh, we are once again extremely privileged to have Pastor Edmund Chan with us. Once again, a big welcome and a big thank you for dedicating your time, uh, for preparing, for praying. And we know that what has happened in the past three weeks has been exceptional. And I believe it's a journey of transformation that has begun for many of us. And as you always say, it begins with us. It begins with me. And um, just a big thank you once again to Pastor Anne as well. Uh, please convey our greetings and we sincerely thank her for releasing her husband. I know it's not easy. I know the schedule is tight, but we appreciate your labor of love and your labor of love as a family. And may God bless you abundantly as you continue to serve us. And without taking much time, I want to turn it over to you, Pastor Edmund. But before that, let me pray. Father, we thank you once again for a blessed evening. Lord, we anticipate phenomenal outcomes because of the power of your word. You are able and your word is able. Come alive in our hearts, we pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for enlightenment this evening, for empowering for Pastor Ed, even as he would share. Lord, I pray that this evening would be once again a challenge to change, to transform, and more than anything else, to become like Jesus. Lord, give us an obedient posture. Lord, I pray that you give us the ability, the strength to consecrate ourselves for the purposes of the Master and the Kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for this evening. We commit all the technology. We pray that we would hear your word clearly and uninterrupted. Thank you because you are faithful and you are good. And thank you once again for a blessed evening. Let your purposes prevail. Bless thy servant. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you once again, Pastor Edmund Chan. And over to you. And yes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pastor Neroshan. It's such a joy to be with you this evening again. And uh, I am so delighted in, in this time that we can spend together in, in the light of the scriptures, talking about discipleship, leadership, the church. Well, this evening, I want to start with a personal testimony, uh, something I've shared in uh, previous IDMC conferences. Um, I've been a Christian for 52 years now, and then backslided for four years in, in my secondary school days, came back to the Lord. And it was on fire for the Lord and eventually went to Bible college, graduated after four years of theological studies and served in one church until today for over three decades. But I remember going back uh, to the early point of, of starting the church ministry. The church was small and I just graduated from Bible college and I wanted to seek the Lord for his agenda for the church. And as I was praying and seeking the Lord, the Lord laid upon my heart 
to to spend uh, three days apart, uh, just just you know, free from all agenda, just to seek him. And that was my desire to to get away somewhere to seek the Lord. But when I entered Bible college, I have uh, emptied my bank account and given everything away uh, for missions. So I have no money to go anywhere. So I went to a church, met the pastor and said to the pastor, um, the, the Lord has laid upon my heart to just spend a few days in prayer. Can I, can I use your church for just three days? And he was very kind. He gave me a key to one of the uh, classrooms. And he said, you must be kept by Saturday uh, morning because uh, the, the church ministries will start then. So I planned my time and, and I went and I had a wonderful time seeking the Lord and praying. And I can still remember uh, coming before the Lord with a deep sense of excitement, of enthusiasm and of anticipation, seeking the Lord in prayer. And then as I prayed, I, I suddenly realized, wow, I look at my watch, only three or three and a half hours uh, have passed. And so I pressed on to pray and pray for four hours. And then it struck me, I have like 68 hours more. And I have already prayed everything that I can think of in the past uh, three to four hours. So I was wondering, what, what do I do now? I, I pray for everything I can think of. So the Lord reminded me, prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is listening to God that I might respond to God. So that day I learned a very precious lesson in prayer. I learned it's not just about keeping company with God or talking to God. It's about listening to God and responding to God in the light of his word. The primacy of the word of God. In fact, the very first night in the church, I, I begin to capture a fresh sense of how powerful and important the word of God is. You see, I switched off the light. I went to sleep that night. And suddenly in the middle of the night, somebody rushed into the room. And, and this person said, aha, so you are there. It was a male voice. And the only one I can think about, I told my wife where I was. And I told one of my church uh, board members where I was. It was a male voice, so I assumed it was this board member. And then suddenly it dawned upon me. He couldn't have come into the room because I have locked the door. And so in the darkness, while I was sleeping on the mattress on the floor, I was turning around to, to find out who's in the room. And I suddenly felt someone pressing me. I couldn't move. Now, I know some psychologists would say, well, that could be psychological. But the next thing that happened indicated it wasn't merely psychological. I heard a voice. It's an external voice. It's on my right ear. And, and it was a voice of accusation. Who do you think you are? You are only a sinner. And the Bible says Satan is the one who is the accuser of the brethren. And so he seeks in his condemnation to condemn it. So, so there was a demonic presence in the room. I couldn't move. And, and I hear this voice of condemnation and accusation. And I cried out to the Lord. I, I was a strong, vigorous young man. I tried to get up. I couldn't. I cried to the Lord, Lord, help. And then within me, there was a quiet voice. Do not fear. 
I am here. And suddenly, whoosh, there was like a dark shadow that left through the door. And then suddenly, the whole room was filled with the presence of God. There was an ethereal glow. I don't know how to describe it. But, but there was a light, and yet the room was in darkness. There was this sense of the presence. There was a sense of peace. And I could roll around and just sleep because it was so peaceful, like a wind child. I was at peace. But hey, the presence of God was there. I mean, I wouldn't want to sleep through in the presence of God when God was there. So I switched on the light. I look at my watch. It's just past 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was thankful for the Lord's presence. I was worshipping the Lord. I went back to the scriptures and I read the scriptures, prayed the scriptures, worship God, read the scriptures, prayed the scriptures, worship God. And before I knew it, dawn came. It was the morning. And when the morning sun rose and lighted the room, I spent about four hours or so in the scriptures, praying through the scriptures, reading the word of God, listening to God. And God deposited some deep things upon my heart that became foundational in my life and ministry. And tonight, I want to share some of these things with you. It all has to do with the primacy of the authority of the word of God. I want to share this evening with you in looking at five defining questions with regards to the primacy of God's word. Because everything about discipleship, everything about leadership has to be Christ-centered. It has to be centered in the Messiah, centered in Christ, centered at the cross, centered at the kingdom of God where the king resides and reigns. But how do we center our ministry and our life Christocentrically in a Christ-centered way? The answer, through the word of God. The word of God reveals Christ. The written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus Christ. So we have to return back to a Christ-centeredness in our discipleship, our ministry, our leadership, our life. And the only way we can return back is through the word of God. I want to explore the primacy of God's word in five defining questions. The first question why is the primacy of God's word so important? I want to begin by looking first at God's perspective of things. Turn with me in the Bibles to Psalms 1. And in Psalms 1, we read uh, right at the beginning, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit at the seat of the scoffers. Blessed is the man. The Hebrew word is ashray, blessed. And it's a plural word. In other words, many blessings. It can be translated, all oh, the blessednesses, the many blessings of the man. And the man is ha'ish, it's an emphatic word. Um, it is blessed is that man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is a certain kind of man. What kind? It is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. 
Now notice it says it does not walk in, it is, did not say it does not walk in the foolishness of the ungodly. Not in the counsel of the ungodly. What is seemingly wise? What is seemingly intelligent? What is seemingly illogical? But this counsel is a worldly counsel that does not stand the test of time and reality. Blessed is the man, all oh, the many blessednesses of that man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit at the seat of the scornful. You see, Psalms 1 is a profound study of contrast. Two things are contrasted here. The first is the contrast, uh, a polarity of opposite between the godly man who is blessed, and the ungodly man who will be judged. And he tells us to watch out and how we should walk in God from God's perspective. Now, here's the question. In Psalms 1, what is the theological anchor for this psalm? There are many wonderful verses in just six verses of Psalms 1. But what is the theological anchor of this psalm? Well, I believe that the last verse is where the entire psalm is rooted upon. The last verse, verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Now, why does it not say the Lord knows the righteous? Why does it say the Lord knows the way of the righteous? Because when we come to verse 6, the word know in the Hebrew is da'ar. And da'ar is not just knowledge. Da'ar is to reckon, to weigh, to consider. And so basically it says God reckons the way of the righteous. The idea behind that is God approves of the way of the righteous. He weighs it, he considers it, he reckons it and approves the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly is not approved by God and therefore judged by him. Now here's the theological principle. The approval of God is of ultimate importance. And because the approval of God is of ultimate importance, how we define success in life must meet with the approval of God. How we define success in leadership must we meet with the approval of God. How we define success in discipleship must meet with the approval of God. Here's the question. How does God reckon, dara, dara, and approve the answer according to the word of God? And so it continues to say in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, he shall prosper. You see, from God's perspective, success is defined by one thing and one thing alone, the approval of God. And how does God approve or what does he disapprove? 
he approves or disapproves based upon what he has already revealed in the Word of God. That's why the primacy of God's Word is so important because it defines for us true success in the light of God's approval. Now, that's from God's perspective, what he approves, the word of God, and align our life aligned to God's word. Now, look at it from our perspective, from men's perspective. Turn with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is another great psalm on the word of God. And in this psalm, it's all about the psalmist's delight in God's word. But there is an emotional context that cradles the, the setting, the, the delight of the psalmist in the word. And very often we say, oh, Psalms 19 is all about the word of God and, and the psalmist delight in the word. But we miss the context, the canvas by which this delight of the word is painted. The emotional context that cradles his delight is not just the psalmist's delight, but more importantly, the psalmist's desperation. Oh, we read throughout, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He seeks to keep that law. He aligns his life to it. Praise God. But we miss in Psalms 119, the desperation of the psalmist. And in his desperation in seeking God, he found the primacy of God's word. And God's word became his delight. Now, here's a simple assignment i like to offer for you in your study of the scriptures. And that is, go to Psalms 119 and find and underline, highlight every verse that speaks about the psalmist's desperation. Every verse that speaks about affliction in, in uh, the psalmist's heart, in the psalmist's life, his desperation. Look at those sample of the affliction verses. First turn with me to Psalms 119, and we look at verse 50, 5, And in verse 50, we, we find he's talking about his affliction in life, his desperation. Psalms 119, 5, This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. His desperation and his delight. Look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. His desperation and his delight. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn of your statutes. His affliction, his desperation in life, and yet his delight in the word of God. Can, can you see what is developing here? The circumstance he's faced with that grieved him, that troubled him, and yet the comfort and the power and the primacy of the word of God in his life. Another example, look at verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In other words, in the light of the troubling circumstances, I acknowledge 
that, that you have allowed it to come my path to, de to, to develop me and then to deliver me so that my devotion can be anchored in you. Look at verse 92. One more example. If your law has not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Can you see that? Delight and affliction, uh, desperation. The affliction, the desperation in the circumstance of his life, but the primacy of the word of God that anchors him. Now, here's my point. Why is the word of God so important? The primacy of God's word is so important because from God's perspective, it is the only yardstick that matters. It defines everything else. God approves and disapproves in human affairs based upon the word of God. And then from the human perspective, from our perspective, as we go through the challenges of life, the problems and the struggles, even the desperation, when we anchor in the primacy of God's word, we find our delight in the word of God. There are many other examples. I, I will leave you to discover it for yourself. But when we come to the very last verse of Psalms 1-9, it is a very interesting ending to this psalm. It's verse 176. Psalms 119-176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I have gone astray. In other words, my heart is prone to wonder. When my eyes are upon my circumstance, I get discouraged. It's so easy to go astray. Help me keep your commandments because I do not want to forget your commandments. So here's the question. What trouble was he facing? He actually tells us, and he tells us several times what his trouble is. And that is why I like you to take a highlighter or pen, go through Psalms 19 again, 176 verses, look at all the afflictions that he talked about and, and the reason for it. The reason for it is his persecutors. Look at, for example, uh, Psalms 19161. 161. Princes persecute me without cause but my heart stands in awe of your words. I'm persecuted. Go back to verse 22 and 23, all the way back towards the beginning. Psalms 119, and look at verse 22 and 23. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Verse 23, for though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. You go through it verse by verse, you will find he speaks about his affliction. He speaks about the trouble that he's faced. Even to the point, verse 25, he says, my soul clings to the dust. Uh, verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. He was afflicted. But over and over again, he says, 
the word is my delight. Let me pause here and, and give you this picture. In life, Jesus said there will be tribulation. In this world, there will be tribulation. But do not fear, the Lord Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. And what overcomes the world? Our faith. Here's the question. What is the basis of our faith? It's not wishful thinking. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if we live an overcoming life based upon the faith we have, and this faith cannot be developed apart from the word of God, then in our leadership and in our discipleship, we must get back to the primacy of God's word. The word of God is the, the gift of God, the resource of God, the revelation of God that anchors us even in times of trouble. So if I seek the approval of God, I need the word of God. If I am troubled in my life, if I face challenges of persecution or desperation, I need the word of God. And when I anchor myself into the word of God, it becomes my delight. Because in it, I find hope. In it, I find comfort. In it, I find power and revelation and truth. In it, I find God. It tells me there's a God in heaven who is in control. God is in control. God is on the throne. God cares and he will bring his purposes to pass. It's all there in the word of God. So you imagine, it was 2 a.m. in the morning. I switched on the light. There was the presence of God there. I went to the scriptures. I read the scriptures. I prayed. I prayed and I read the scriptures. And I prayed through the scriptures. And the Lord reminded me, comforted me, encouraged me, taught me through the word of God. You want to build deep discipleship in the life of the church, in your life, in your ministry, in your leadership. The centrality and primacy of the word of God cannot be compromised. And therefore, in application, go back to the Holy Scriptures. Go back to the word of God. Here's the second question. If the word of God is so important, why is it so neglected? The answer is because we, we give all kinds of excuses. And there are three common excuses we give. Number one, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Actually, it's not busyness. It has to do with the heart. Because if the heart is distracted, even if you are on vacation and you have the time, you will not have the time for the Holy Scriptures. The second excuse is, too lazy. It, it takes too much effort. It's too difficult. But at the heart of it, laziness. Or here's the third, too hazy. I don't understand the word of God. And so we give an excuse. I don't understand. It takes too much effort. I'm too busy. I can't get into the word. It's a lie. Because I'm busy, because life is demanding, because things are difficult, I have 
to get into the Word of God, to have my spiritual compass recalibrated in the light of the Scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Because in the parable of the sower, it tells us why the Word of God is neglected. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told kingdom parables. The whole chapter is, is about kingdom parables. I believe there are eight parables, four pairs, and, and these four mega truths of, of the kingdom stands for. And the first truth is, is in the parable of the sower, receptivity of the truth in the kingdom of God. How receptive are we? And Jesus spoke about four soils in the way speaking about the heart. In other words, Jesus spoke about the heart and gave the picture of four kinds of heart in relation to four different kinds of soul that holds a seed of God's word. The first soul, he says, is verse 4, Matthew 13, verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path by the roadside. It represents the hardened ground, representing the hardened heart. The heart of unbelief, doubt. And if, if we walk in pride or unbelief that, or in a hardened heart, we cannot receive the scriptures. The second we find in verse 5 and verse 6, but other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, since they had no root, they withered away. They had no depth, that they have no roots, they were shallow, the shallow heart. There is no depth, no hunger, no pursuit in the deep things of God superficiality as the curse of our age we go through the bible superficially we go through our christian life superficially we go through discipleship superficially no depth and when the sun comes representing persecution representing problems and difficulties when the sun comes it scorches the sea the truth and it bears no fruit because they had no roots. They wither away. Here's the third kind of heart represented by the third soul. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked them. And Jesus explained what the thorns were. He says the cares of this world and the riches of life. In other words, worldliness. The worries of this world, the cares of this world, and, and the, the um, riches, the deceitfulness of riches. Wanting to be rich, wanting to be successful, wanting to live the comfortable life. And the heart is distracted from the deep things of God. That's why the word of God is neglected. In other words, Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 gives the answer why the word of God is neglected, why there's a lack of receptivity to the truth of God. He says because the heart is, is in unbelief, it is deceived. The heart is distracted. The heart is shallow. It all has to do with the heart. 
not the excuse of busyness or I don't understand, I don't have enough time and it's so hard, too much effort. Excuses. It has to do with whether our heart is hungry after God. Here's the third question. What is the primacy of the word of God all about? Well, for this, I want to learn from Jesus and the Apostle Paul. From Jesus, turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered Satan with these words. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, to Jesus, the word is primary because it is authoritative. And in its authority, it defines everything else. Man shall not live by bread alone. Satan came to tempt Jesus. Come on, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Why is that a temptation? Have you and I ever been tempted by Satan where he comes to us and says, I tempt you to turn these stones to bread. I have never been tempted. Why? Because I can't. If Satan comes to me and says, I tempt you to turn the stones to bread, I don't go like, hmm, let me think about it. I'm so tempted. I'm not tempted at all because I cannot turn stone to bread. Why was Jesus tempted? Because he could. He's the son of God, the master of the universe. He could turn the stones to bread. That's why it was a temptation. It was a temptation to presume on his sonship. If you are the son of God, turn the stones to bread. And what did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, out of the Holy Scriptures. That's the primacy of the word of God. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul spoke about the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, verse 17, equipped for every good work. All of scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. In other words, to the Apostle Paul, the primacy of the Word of God lies in both its authority and its profitability because the Word of God is authoritative truth. It is profitable in developing the man or the woman of God. Do you get the connection? Because if you understand this, you will realize it is impossible to talk about discipleship apart from the Word of God. Why? Because it's the Word of God that disciples the men and women of God unto maturity. That the men or women of God may be equipped, may be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. The primacy of God's Word. Now here's the fourth question. The fourth question is, why then is the primacy of God's word so difficult? 
so difficult to grab, so difficult to have in our life. Why? Again, it has everything to do with our heart. Our heart is deceitful. Because there's a condition necessary in order for us to anchor deep in the word of God. The condition, we must draw near to God. But here's the problem. Our heart is prone to wonder. And when we wonder, it is very important when we wander off and we're distracted. Very important for us to learn to repent and to return. There was a prophet of God. And he spoke about the theology of repentance as in returning to God. His name, Jeremiah. Then they bring your Bibles to, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 4. And in Jeremiah chapter 4, this is what uh, Jeremiah speaks about in the theology of repentance. Chapter 4, verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me, you should return. Now, the to me is emphatic. If you were to return, O Israel, O people of God, to me, you should return. Don't just return to some religious institution. Don't just return to some religious ritual. Don't just return to some discipleship program. If you are to repent and to return to me, you must return. And then Jeremiah said something very profound about the theology of repentance. He says, as we continue verse 1, if you remove your detestable things from my presence. You see, repentance has to do with removal, the removal of the idols in our life, the detestable things unto God. If you remove your detestable things from my presence, we cannot return to God without removing the idols in our lives. We cannot repent unto God without removing the idols in our lives. And then he says this, if you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. Now, please get this. We have to return and do not waver. That's at the heart of discipleship, of returning to anchor in the primacy of God's word. Return to God and do not waver in your recommitment to him. Now, here's the problem. We tend to waver. I have learned as a disciple-making pastor that change and transformation is necessary. But there are five truths about change we must grasp. Truth number one, people should change. Why? Because we don't grow by chance. We grow by change. So people should change. Number two, people can change. Praise God. God can work in our lives. And as we seek him, as we repent, as we return, he brings about the change in our life. People can change. Truth number three is worrisome. People don't change. Why is it we should change and we can, but we don't? The stubbornness of the heart. That leads us to truth number four. People don't change because they won't change. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of the heart. Now, here's the fifth truth that is the scariest of all. 
the fifth truth of change. People change, but they short change change. In other words, they return, then they turn back from their returning. They turn from their idols to return to God, and then they waver and they return back to their idols. That is so sad. Jeremiah says, this is what God says, if you are to return, O people of God, then to me, you should return and you should deal with these idols and remove them from my presence and do not waver. Tonight, in the light of God's word, you have to make a decision. And the decision you have to make is, Lord, I want to choose to decide to commit to you and I will not waver. Help me, strengthen me. Otherwise, it's so difficult to make the word of God uh, the, the primal center of gravity in our life, the primacy of God's word in our discipleship. Five defining questions. Number one, why is the primacy of God's word so important? Number two, if it's so important, why is it so neglected? Number three, what is it all about? Number four, what makes it so difficult? It all has to do with the heart. And here's the fifth question. How can it best be accomplished? Then you mean your Bibles to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. And here's a priest who gave us an example of his commitment to the word of God. And for those of us who are pastors and leaders, we have to recommit to the word on this premise. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of God, or the law of the Lord, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra purpose in his heart, determined in his heart, committed in his heart to do three things. Number one, to study the word of God. And number two, to do it. And number three, to teach it. Can you see the progression? We have shortchanged it. We we don't study the word of God. And then finally we say, okay, we should study the word of God. So we do. And when we do, we don't pass it on. So we say, oh, we have to teach. We have to pass it on. We've got to share. So we study the word of God and we share the word of God. But we fail to do the word of God. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, Joshua was given a counsel. And he wrote in Joshua 1.8, what was this counsel that defines this leadership? This book of the law, the word of God, shall not depart of your mouth. Doesn't mean you don't speak it. What it means is you keep on speaking it so that the word of God don't ever disappear from your life. As it were, disappear from your mouth. You, you stop talking about the word of God. No, this book of the law shall not depart of your mouth. You shall keep on living about it and meditating on it because in the jewish understanding of of uh, meditating the word for it is muttering they, they 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 think about the word of god and they mutter the word of god they vocalized it and as they vocalize the word of god is internalized in them this book of the law shall not leave your mouth shall not leave your life but you shall meditate therein there and night that you may be careful to observe to do all things. To do. Careful to do. 
you might observe to do all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Careful to do. The Hebrew word is shama, and the idea is to guard, to keep, to pay attention to, to pay close attention to. You shall observe to do. You shall guard it well to do. You shall be alert in order to do. You must pay careful attention so as to do. Here's the principle. Doing the word of God is not automatic. It takes effort. It takes careful attention. It takes us guarding it in our life because if we don't guard it, if we don't guard to, to check that we are doing the word of God, it's so easy to just talk about the word of God and not do it. The primacy of God's word comes all the way back to our hearts, surrender to God in devotion so that his word becomes our delight. And this devotion and this delight brings about the discipline in the word of God. And it's that spiritual discipline that fires up that fire of devotion in our life. It's all about the heart. Discipleship is about the heart. Surrender to God, tutored by the word of God, so that we shama, we guard, we pay attention, we are careful, we observe to do God's word. It is so sad if we talk the whole night about the word of God, but we are not doing it. The power of God's word is when we learn by faith and obedience to do it. Discipleship is not just knowing God's word. No, no, knowledge path up. At the end of discipleship is doing it. I want to close this session with, with a final word and then I open the time for question and answers. But I want to remind us of the time in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus uh, rose from the dead and then he told his disciples Matthew 28, uh, verse 5 to verse 7. He says to the woman, go tell my disciples that I'm going before them to Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. Here's the question. Jesus had risen from the dead. He wants to meet his disciples to, to encourage them, to testify to them the glory and the power of God of the resurrected life, of the truth, of the salvation, of the gospel. He wants to meet his disciples, to disciple them as leaders in the early church, as apostolic leaders. What did he say? Meet me in Galilee. Why Galilee? Why not meet me in Jerusalem? They were all there in Jerusalem. Jesus could simply appear to them in Jerusalem and say, come on, let's talk. Let us anchor in discipleship and leadership. Why meet me in Galilee? Galilee was 120 kilometers or so away. It takes about six days or seven days of walk to get where they were in Jerusalem to Galilee. Why did Jesus ask them to take a walk that is nearly a week for them to reach? What's so special about Galilee? Why not do it in Jerusalem, the religious center of the world? The answer, because Galilee was the place they first heard the invitation of Jesus, follow me, 
I will make you fishes of men. Galilee was the place where they first received their calling. Galilee was their first love. Galilee was their first place they caught their commission. And, and Jesus is saying to them, go to Galilee. Because there in Galilee, they are returning back to their first love. They are starting over again. And now close tonight to say to us, people, start again. Start again with Jesus. Start again in his holy word. Start again in a spiritual hunger. Start over again and say, Lord, I want to meet you in my Galilee. I want to return to my first love. Because that's what discipleship is all about. The primacy of the word of God is not given to increase our knowledge. The primacy of the word of God is to teach us the truth of God so that in our hearts there is a fire a devotion that brings us back to return to our first love without wavering. May the Lord help you and I in this discipleship journey to be disciples of Jesus and to reproduce disciples of Jesus in the primacy of the word of God. Would you bow with me in prayer before we open this time for questions and answers? Let's pray together. Father, each time you speak to us through the Holy Scriptures, you summon us to respond. And tonight is no difference. Tonight you are calling us back to Galilee. That in each of our hearts, there is a spiritual Galilee, a, a, a place where we have received our calling, our uh, invitation to follow Christ, a place where we have our first love. Help us to return afresh to this first love so that our hearts are neither hot nor cold or lukewarm. Our hearts are not lukewarm, but our hearts are directed to you, not distracted, not disillusioned, not discouraged, not in doubt or unbelief, but our hearts are devoted to you. Help us in this, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to simply say, if you make that respond to God tonight. Yes, Lord, I want to return to my first love and to discipleship in following Jesus. Then tomorrow morning, restart over again with the word of God. Day by day by day, the primacy of God's word. Thank you, Pastor Nirosha. Thank you very much, Pastor Ed, once again for an emphatic and a very challenging presentation of the primacy of God's word and the importance of it. And, I'm, and I know we have much to think about. Uh, before we go any further, we have a few questions that I would like to uh, bring up so that we could, so that you could answer. Uh, firstly, um, what do you mean by a God-centered way of looking at the word? Mm -hmm. thank, thank you for that question. The most important world we live in is the unseen world. And the most precious commodity in the unseen world is truth. This truth is ultimate reality. So this truth from God's perspective is what, what is really real. So when I say looking at truth from God's perspective and the word of God from God's perspective, from God's perspective, there is no illusions. There is no deception. Right is right, wrong is wrong. True is true, false is false. 
So from God's perspective, from God's perspective, what he approves as true, faithful, worthy has the yardstick of the word of God. In other words, it's measured by this yardstick, this ruler, this measure. It is the gold standard, so to speak. It's not emotions. It's not sentimentality. It's not God waking up one day and saying, oh, all right, I can bend my rules. It's the authority of his word. So from God's perspective, the word of God is central. There's a primacy to the word because God measures everything by the revelation of the word of God. So that's why from his perspective, it is so central. And that's why the psalmist began, like, my delight is in his law. In his law, I meditate day and night. And in that doing of the word, the meditation and doing, there is a life that is approved unto God. Secondly, um, what is the difference between disciple making and mentoring? There are three words that are commonly used now that floats around in leadership circle. The first is mentoring. The second is discipling. And the third is coaching. Now, we got to understand that words are flexible. They are dynamic. So in other words, if you draw three circles, the, the meaning of the words actually sometimes come together. So they are synonymous. So in some contexts, mentoring is discipling, discipling is mentoring. In other contexts, mentoring is coaching, coaching is mentoring. Okay. Uh, or in another context, discipling is coaching, coaching is discipling. So in, in those contexts, the, the words are interchangeable. They are synonymous. However, the words also have specific context and meaning within the context. That gives them the, uh, the definition, the distinctiveness. So while coaching and mentoring are parallel, and mentoring and parallel is not a word, synonymous, mentoring and discipling are synonymous, it's a distinct uh, difference to it. And when we, when we look at the distinction, then discipling is helping a Christian grow deeper in his spiritual life. Mentoring, if you delink it for its distinctiveness, is teaching the Christian how to live that life, how to grow in his spiritual life and how to live that life wisely. So, so the idea I have for mentoring is wisdom. The idea I have for discipling is foundation. So, so often, discipling is used for young Christians in that context. Not always in that context, but often in discipling the new believer grounding the person in the foundation. Then as they grow as a leader, uh, we, we, we can still say we disciple the leader because mentoring and discipling are used interchangeably. But in a specific context, then we, we talk about leadership mentoring. We are mentoring the leaders. Discipling as in foundation and mentoring as in wisdom. Discipling as the spiritual life, the, the growth and the depth in the spiritual life. And mentoring is how to live that spiritual life wisely. Now, what about coaching? Coaching has to do with skill development. So coaching has to do with how do you solve this problem? What skills do you need? Now, mentoring also teaches skills. But coaching is even sharper in its distinctiveness with regards to the skill context. The wisdom context, the skill context, and the foundation context. 
this is where the distinctiveness of the definitions would be. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Ed. I think we've been, uh, we have so much to take home and the last few weeks has been extremely challenging. And I believe for those of us who are serious about this journey, um, it calls for change. So I think summing up today, I would really like to focus once again on, uh, on, on, on what, what you shared from Jeremiah 4.1. And I think uh, we must change. And I think, we, I think we need to personalize it. I must change. And I can change. But I also must be honest with myself as to the reasons why I don't want to change. Uh, the resistance that comes from within. And of course, never to short change, uh, you know, and go back on our decisions. And I think summing up the four weeks, uh, I would like to leave all of us with just two words, obedience and consecration. I think uh, Pastor Ed stressed so much on that, and I don't think we can walk away. But I think uh, also the, the primacy of the word has, uh, you know, enlightened some things uh, for us this evening, uh, even with the parables and uh, also the, the, the passages in Psalms, uh, you know, and also in, in a bless me culture, how do you grapple with affliction and difficult times and challenges? But I believe uh, it's calling for us uh, to journey with the Lord on a new realm. And I pray that God would enable us. But before we get into our breakout rooms, I believe we have something very special to do. Uh, firstly, we want to thank Pastor Edmund Chan for being with us. We know he's a busy person, but it has definitely been uh, divinely orchestrated, I would say, for you to take this time and minister to many of us over the past four weeks. And I believe that uh, these are decisive times. And I know that this seed has fallen on good soil. And we are looking forward to a, to a, to a, to a wonderful harvest. And also, uh, I think we would like to thank Pastor Anne for, uh, for, for journeying with you and journeying with us on this. I think uh, this is team ministry and this is families journeying together. And I hope that you would journey with our nation uh, even as we walk through uh, very challenging times, but with the hope of revival, with hope of national transformation. And that's the desire of our hearts. So um, before I thank the others, I uh, just want to say once again, uh, Pastor Edmund Chan, thank you very much. Thank you for taking time. Thank you for ministering uh, God's word to us. And I know the outcomes are going to be great. Uh, allow me to pray for you and for the leadership at Covenant. Thank you for uh, serving our nation. We are very, very grateful to you for that. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you once again for this time. Thank you, Lord, for bringing your choice servant to be with us, to share the truths revealed to him. Thank you for persistence. Thank you for an exemplary life. Thank you, Lord, for imparting to us and challenging us to journey and walk differently. Lord, I pray that we would truly grow into the stature of our master. Lord, I pray that in a dry and a thirsty land, you would let the rivers flow. 
let us be the planting of the Lord, that this nation would acknowledge that you are God and there is no other. Lord, I pray for Pastor Edmund, Pastor Anne and the children. Bless them as a family. Lord, we know that you will never be a debtor. You, 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 you shower them with good gifts. Lord, that is our prayer. That is our request. Lord, we pray for the leadership at Covenant. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in that church and for the influence and the impact that they're having around the world. Father, we pray that they would be instruments to bring people to divine alignment, that they would be instruments in helping people steward what you have entrusted to them. Bless them, I pray. Bless them as a church. Let them multiply and let their fruit remain. Thank you once again for this evening. Lord, we also pray for all the people who work behind the scenes, for the technical teams, Lord, for the translators, and Lord, for all those who participated and who keep watching the recordings. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak, you would stir our hearts. Lord, speak to us in the, in the night times. Lord, and bring about transformation. Let us be the planting of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Hope of the Nation podcast. See you next time.